baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. I'm Heather Vale, and this is the Odyssey Las Vegas Public Affairs Show. Today, I'm speaking with Melissa Cipriano, Executive Director of the Children's Heart Foundation. Melissa has more than 20 years' experience in nonprofit leadership and community relations, including being the Executive Director for the Candlelighters Childhood Cancer Foundation for 12 years. She's passionate about helping people in need, especially children, and joined the Children's Heart Foundation in 2019. Melissa, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. So for those who aren't familiar with the organization, what exactly does the Children's Heart Foundation do? Children's Heart Foundation was founded more than 20 years ago by uh, pediatric cardiologists and some parents who knew that there would be more families to follow in the path of having a child with a congenital heart defect. And they created the foundation to help these families with financial assistance, education, and programming to help them get through their heart journey with their child. And we've been doing that now for more than 20 years. And, you know, we rely on our community for the support for our major events. And we provide many, many services to help these families. How many families are there? What's kind of the proportion of families that are impacted by congenital heart disease in children? So one out of every 100 children born in the United States is born with some form of a congenital heart defect. And some are, you know, could be a small hole in the heart, could be things that the cardiologists are going to wait and monitor and to see if, you know, it, it fixes on itself, which some it sometimes does. But there's a great majority of these kids that it, they require invasive heart surgery, open heart surgery, procedures. There are many, many young people that are, um, you know, they've had heart transplants. So it's just depending on the type of heart condition that they have and how severe it is and how complex their case is. And so we help those families that are in medical crisis with their child. The one and only pediatric cardiology group in the state of Nevada is called the Children's Heart Center. They have an office in Reno, but their main hub here is in Las Vegas. And so when uh, surgery is required for the heart child, um, that surgery takes place um, at Sunrise Children's Hospital. And we help with those travel costs because we cover the whole state. Rural Nevada families and Northern Nevada families will all come to Las Vegas for their child's heart surgery. So we partner with the Ronald McDonald House. If the house is full, we will help with lodging um, at another hotel. And we help with gas cards or air flights and lodging while they're here during their child's um, hospitalization. And then for families that have to leave the state, and those are the cases um, such as a child that needs a heart transplant. Uh, we don't have a heart transplant facility here in the state of Nevada, so it's an automatic trip out of state. And it's not just like a week-long stay, it's months because they're waiting for their heart. The heart transplant takes place, and then the child has to remain near the center of excellence where the surgery took place once they're released from the hospital for a few months after, just to make sure that, you know, the heart is is working and doing its job. So 
we help some of those families as well um, while they're out of state. Um, in addition, we'll help with the financial assistance is extended into help with utilities, rent, or mortgage, and gas cards locally while uh, the families um, are going to very frequent doctor's appointments. Wow, that's amazing. It sounds like you're doing a lot to help these families. Is Children's Heart Foundation the only organization in the state that's doing this type of work? Um, as far as I know, we are. We're the only nonprofit that is helping families with, from a pediatric standpoint. There's other sorts of heart um, groups or heart organizations that, um, like the American Heart Association, they're a wonderful group and they focus a lot on adult, adult care, education, etc. Um, but our main focus is pediatrics, is uh, prenatal through age 21. And we've got some other, you know, programs that we provide um, throughout the year. One of our biggest is our summer camp program. It's called Camp Menda Heart. And that is a medically supervised camp for heart patients ages 7 to 17 years of age. And it's a week-long camp. And we attend a camp facility in Southern California that's called Pathfinder Ranch. And it is a wonderful time for these heart patients to come together and have some childhood memories, create new and form new friendships, all the while creating some great memories of their childhood and not fearful of being made fun of for their major scars or because they're tired or, you know, they need to rest or they can't do a certain activity. We're all there for the same reason. They're all heart patients. So understanding is a huge um, component of camp and compassion and friendship. And uh, it's it's pretty magical. And I'm proud to be part of our camp program. And this June, we're hoped, hoping to take 80 campers to camp and just have a week long, great week with these kids. That's fantastic. So of course, being February, it's American Heart Month. What is the Children's Heart Foundation doing for American Heart Month? Yeah, we've got a couple things happening. Um, we've partnered with a great local coffee company here in town called Founders Coffee. They are doing a drink of the month where if you order their red velvet drink, uh, it comes iced or hot. A portion of that sale will come back to the Children's Heart Foundation. And in addition, we've also partnered with Buddy Velastro's Restaurant Group, and um, they have a prefix menu all month long at Buddy V's in the Venetian. And um, a $3 from their lunch prefix menu comes back to the Children's Heart Foundation, and then $4 from every dinner from the prefix menu will come back. And then Jersey Eats and Buddy's Cafe and Pizza Cake are all doing a donation when you check out at those facilities as well. So they're doing that the entire month. So we're really excited to be able to partner with these amazing companies that, you know, see our mission as important as we think it is. And um, they're helping us to raise awareness as well as much needed funding so we can provide those services for our families. That's great. Why did you choose Buddy Velastro Restaurants specifically to partner with? Well, his corporate chef is one of our heart parents and Children's Heart Foundation is very special to their entire family because um, their son, CJ, is um, a heart child and he's had many, many surgeries. He is doing great and he also attends camp. So that has all everything that has happened in his short little lifespan of, you know, he's only nine now and um, he's doing quite well, has really touched their family's heart and they they want to um, give back. And 
you know, Buddy being the person he is and how wonderful, you know, he heard CJ's story. And, um, you know, Brian works very closely with with him, and they just have embraced our organization. And um, we are so thankful that they have embraced us and are helping to raise dollars so we can continue our mission. Yeah, what a great story. I, w- I would say it's heartwarming. <laughs> <laughs> no, Pat <Pat-Pendant>, did no. <laughs> <laughs> and is there a personal connection like that with Founders Coffee as well? There is. So they do have a connection. And so they wanted to, you know, honoring their connection. I just don't want to go into too much detail there, but um, they have a special place for CHF as well. That's great. Okay. So how can people find out more about the Children's Heart Foundation, all the things that you're doing year round, and especially what you're doing this month for American Heart Month, so they can get those details and go to the places and make sure that you're getting the donations that you need? Absolutely. Um, Our website has all of the information. So it's chfn.org. All of it is up to date, and you can read all the details and learn how you can give back this month. Okay. And what about if they want to make a donation or maybe even get involved in volunteering to help out? Um, On our website, we have the red, the big red donation tab. It's super easy. It's all electronic and you can make an online contribution that way. If you would like to volunteer, we also have a volunteer tab at the very top and you can enter information. We'll get notice and we'll be able to call you and start that journey with us. Fantastic. Okay, so once again, the website is chfn.org, stands for Children's Heart Foundation Nevada, chfn.org. You can find out more information about the Children's Heart Foundation, find out about all the events they're doing all year round. You can find out what's going on for American Heart Month with Founders Coffee and Buddy V's at the Venetian and the other organizations that are giving back to the Children's Heart Foundation. And if you want to donate or you want to volunteer or get involved with the Children's Heart Foundation, or I guess if, you know, if they have a heart child in their life as well, right? Absolutely. If um, they've been affected by um, CHDs with their children, we would love to talk to them and see how they're doing and see if they would like to participate. We have our walk coming up on April 22nd. So we would love for them to form a family team. Awesome. Okay. And the April walk is called Walk with the Heart of a Child. And I believe you said that's representing your 20th anniversary, right? It is. For 20 years, the foundation has been hosting their walk. And so it's a great time that heart families come together. We raise a little bit of awareness, but Um, You know, our goal is to raise a lot of money so we can continue to help these special families. Awesome. Okay. So once again, chfn.org is the website, chfn.org. And Melissa, I want to thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day to talk to us and let us know all about the things you're doing, especially during American Heart Month, because the listeners can get involved in helping you out as well while they enjoy a great drink or, you know, some, some great food at Buddy V's. So I appreciate your time and I appreciate them. And thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Heather. Learning your child has cancer causes an emotional and financial crisis. Often, the best place for treatment is far from home. But with the help of the National Children's Cancer Society, children battling cancer can get to life-saving treatment, whether it's across town or across the country. To learn how we give families hope and give their children the best shot at survival, visit thenccs.org. 
That's T-H-E-N-C-C-S dot org. Because no family should go through childhood cancer alone. I'm Heather Vale, and this is the Odyssey Las Vegas Public Affairs Show. Today I'm speaking with Scott Rosenzweig, President and CEO of Make-A-Wish Southern Nevada. Make-A-Wish creates life-changing wishes for children with critical illnesses, knowing that every step of the wish journey can help children build the physical and emotional strength they need to fight their illness. Scott leads the Southern Nevada organization's overall strategy and mission, and he's responsible for directing Make-A-Wish's program services, operations, and brand awareness. Scott, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. So I think everyone's heard of Make-A-Wish, but how exactly does Make-A-Wish make kids' wishes come true? Well, that's a great question. And what I can tell you is is that, you know, Make-A-Wish has been around since 1980. And one of the things I always like to tell people, because so many think it's still a dying wish, and that couldn't be further from the truth. You know, most of our kids go on to lead extraordinary lives. We have a wish kiddo now who's now the director of retail at Resorts World with two kids of his own. So I always like to start with that because so many people say, oh, it's so sad. It's a dying wish. And really what we are We're the prescription for hope. Doctors write for medication, we write for hope. So when a child comes to us, the first thing that we do is get to know who that child is, what the family dynamic is, and what will make a difference in their life. So whether it's going to a famous theme park or meeting a famous celebrity or not having anything to do with fame or maybe becoming famous themselves by being the author of a book, Truly what we do is we try and work with that child to get them out of their medical journey. So they're not looking at what they're going through right now, whether it be chemo or any other type of life-threatening illness that requires medication and treatment, but what can they become? Who can they be? Who do they want to be? How do they see themselves outside the medical journey? And because of this, We've been told time and time again by parents, doctors, and everyone else that when a child gets a wish, that emotional medicine helps them to get healthier faster, be on less medication, more apt to take care of themselves and stick with their treatments. And so everybody wins in this scenario. We don't grant wishes for new cars or new homes or anything like that. It's really about the child's imagination, giving them back a sense of imagination and certainly Wow, that's incredible. So it's almost like taking the mental shift away from the illness for a while allows them to overcome it. A hundred percent. And, you know, I can't think of a better example of that. Recently, we had a family come back from Hawaii and they go on many excursions while they're there. And and this and with COVID and everything, travel's been difficult. We've Mm -hmm. never stopped granting wishes. I want to say that all through COVID, we were granting wishes um, because we believe that that emotional medicine is needed. But what the mother told us when she got back is that they were on the boat one day, the entire family. It was a pretty large family. And And her son, who was the wish kid, turned to her and said, Mom, today's the first day. I feel like a regular kid, like I never had cancer. Wow. That's what Make-A-Wish does. That's what we strive to do, you know, and and that's what I think is truly why Make-A-Wish resonates with so many people, not only in our community, but around the world. We're not only, not only do we have 58 chapters in the U.S., but we're represented in 50 countries now because people understand that that emotional piece is just as important as the medical piece. So 58 chapters in the U.S., one of them being the Southern Nevada chapter. You mentioned that Make-A-Wish was founded in 1980, but when was the Southern Nevada chapter founded? 
So Southern Nevada was founded in 1996. We actually were the second chapter. There's a little like we were, used to be all of Nevada. Now we're, but in 1996, we became Make-A-Wish Southern Nevada. And so we have been granting wishes here ever since. So how often does a kid have trouble deciding between multiple wishes that they want to do and you have to kind of help them narrow it down to just one wish? <laughs> well, you know, it's so funny because, you know, we used to say, you know, we grant the child's one heartfelt wish. But I kept saying to my team, I don't know about you, Heather, but I have more than one wish in my yeah. head at any given <laughs> point in time, right? So yeah. I'm like, can we just say we're going to grant a heartfelt wish for you, one that comes from your heart and for, from your soul? So that's what we say now around Make-A-Wish Southern Nevada. But what I will say is, is that faced with the opportunity for anything in the anything kingdom, for the most part, a lot of our children have a lot of difficulty deciding on what that wish might be. There's a lot of guilt involved, which I didn't know about until I started working with the psychologist that we work with here at Make-A-Wish. These children feel as though they're taking time away from their parents' lives, from their siblings' lives, and oftentimes that paralyzes them to come up with a wish. So what we do in our wish discovery visits are the first visit is really all about the kiddo. Do they like pineapple on pizza or not? You know, it's a very <laughs> easy question that anybody can answer, right? We just want to know about that kiddo. And then we start talking about wishes. And if they're struggling either to come up with a wish or deciding amongst one or two, of course, they look to their parents, their siblings and whatnot. We also do a thing here at Make-A-Wish, which the entire staff takes part in, um, which is called Concept Committee, where we take the kiddos' likes and dislikes. And if they're having trouble kind of defining it into an actual wish, we all sit around the room and we brainstorm like you would on any kind of brainstorming call you've ever been on in your life. And we come up with one or two, maybe three options for that kiddo. And then we take it back to them. And what we found is that either they love the idea, one of those three ideas, or it sparks something else because it's part of what their interests are. And then they say, well, what about this? Could I maybe do? And of course the answer is usually yes. <laughs> That's great. So it's almost like giving a business presentation to a big client, except the client's a kid. hundred <laughs> percent. And that's what I like to tell everybody. You know, we run our business like a business here at Make-A-Wish Southern Nevada. We've got our KPIs, our key product indicators that we look at every week on a scorecard. Every one of my staff has a number that they're striving for in the week, for the month, for the quarter. And that's really how we stay on track. Because of course, not only is it important for us to steward our donors' finances that they provide us um, with great care, but also how far we can stretch it so that we can grant even more wishes. Nice. Okay. So what is the walk for wishes that you've got coming up? Well, Walk for Wishes has been around for a long time. It's going to celebrate its 21st year. So it's finally uh, legal in Las Vegas. I guess you can go out <laughs> drinking and sit at a blackjack table, which is great. But Walk for Wishes is truly our big community event every year. It's a fun run or walk, 5K. That element is definitely there. But it's really more about Kim and Dana Wagner from Channel 3 who host it, along with JC and Mercedes from Mix 94.1. And bringing all of our community partners together in one place. We also do a VIP booth for Wish Kids and Families. So if you always wanted to meet a Wish Kid or a family, you can certainly meet them. And of course, at the goal of it is fundraising. So this year, our goal is $500,000. We're at about $130,000 right now. So we're on track to get to there by April 29th. April 29th 
is World Wish Day. So this is the first time I can recall in our history where Walk for Wishes actually aligns with World Wish Day. And what is World Wish Day? It is the day that Chris Gracious, who inspired the organization Make-A-Wish, got his wish on April 29th, 1980. So it's going to be an incredible event this year. We'll have some great booths for people, some food trucks, some entertainment, um, some wish kids, and a 5K. And of course, you can create your team if you go to walkforwishessnv.org. So you can create that team today and start fundraising to help us grant even more wishes here in Southern Nevada. Nice. Okay. So it's happening on World Wish Day. It's called Walk for Wishes and you're granting wishes and the organizations make a wish. It's like a lot of wishes going on. A lot. Sounds great. You know, this sounds like really fun when you've got wishes going on. I mean, what can be better, right? And what I do want to share with your listeners as well is that, you know, this year alone, our fiscal year starts in September, which is a little odd, but since September of this year, we've already granted 74 wishes, which is a record high for our chapter. And we have over 240 kids sitting in our pipeline today. So that community support financially giving us in-kind construction companies that are local that help us build play sets, volunteers that come from companies or individuals that help us get that wish across the finish line. It couldn't be more critical right now to have that financial and community support as we go into our busier months, which are always the summer when kids are out of school and really in need of some wishes. So Walk for Wishes is a great opportunity to feel good about yourself by giving back to the community and help us grant more wishes than ever. Nice. Okay. And you mentioned that you've already raised a hundred and some odd thousand from the goal of 500,000. How is that possible when the walk hasn't happened yet? I love that you're asking this question. Yay. (laughs) Yay, Heather. Um, It happens because uh, Allegiant Airlines, we're on their campus. They give us a building, an office space here, but they're also incredible partners for us. In fact, we just celebrated last month the 2000th flight that Allegiant Airline has done for Wish Kids and Families. So they come in as a presenting sponsor. So what you're seeing in that $137,000, and hopefully that number is rising as I'm speaking to you, what you're seeing a lot right now are corporate sponsorships. Our teams really start to form closer to the walk in April, but our corporate sponsors are already committing because they understand a couple of things. One is how important a wish is to our community and to our families and to our wish kids, but also the sense of community around Walk for Wishes to be able to be out at town square with two to 3,000 people in a collective way, kind of lifting up the entire community. That's what is truly the mission of Walk for Wishes. That's fantastic. So you mentioned walkforwishessnv.org is the website if listeners want to sign up or get involved with Walk for Wishes. Yes. And they can look for my name, Scott Rosenzweig, if they want to make a donation, because I am going to try and get up there and make something happen this year by doing my own fundraising for the event. It's the one event where I tell all my friends, um, I'm going to be your, I'm going to be the CBO instead of the CEO. I'm the chief begging officer looking for <laughs> donations so that, uh, so that I'm not rivaled by some of my staff and some of the community partners we have. Awesome. Okay. And it takes place on World Wish Day, which is Saturday, April 29th at Town Square, Las Vegas. What time does it all get underway? 
7 a.m. is when registration opens. The walk takes place around 8 or 9. You're probably done by 11. So it's a real feel good and a way to get your morning going. Nice. Okay. And what if listeners want to find out more about Make-A-Wish Southern Nevada in general or maybe make a donation or even get involved in volunteering? Where would they go for that? They just go to wish.org slash SNV, which will direct you directly to our website. And on the left-hand side of that page, you'll find a, a title that says Ways to Help. Click on that. You can find out about volunteering opportunities, upcoming events that we're doing. If you want to plan a wish reveal for a kiddo, one of the greatest things in the world, if you've never, if you love throwing parties, but you've never done it for a wish kid, I will tell you once you do it once, you, uh, you become addicted to it, <laughs> um, which is proper for Vegas, I guess. But yeah. you can always go to wish.org slash SNV, not only to see how and ways to help to donate and whatnot, but also just to see what's going on locally with our chapter. We have lots of videos of our wish kids and and lots of inspiration at that website nice okay so wish.org slash snv is the main website wish.org slash snv stands for southern nevada wish.org slash snv if you want to find out more about what make a wish southern nevada is doing all their various events if you want to get involved if you want to make a donation now, if you want to walk in the Walk for Wishes, or if you want to support the walkers who are walking in the Walk for Wishes, or just find out more about what's happening that day, walkforwishessnv.org is the website, walkforwishessnv.org. And the event is taking place, the 21st annual Walk for Wishes event is happening on World Wish Day, which is Saturday, April 29th, and it's happening at Town Square, Las Vegas. Sounds like a lot of great stuff going on, Scott, and I hope that you get a lot of supporters donating for you to walk, being the chief begging officer, and and I hope you get a lot of walkers out there as well. So thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Let us know all the stuff you're doing and especially about the Walk for Wishes coming up. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you, Heather. And as I like to tell everybody, we all know it takes a village to raise a child, but it takes a community to grant a wish. So on behalf of Make-A-Wish Southern Nevada, our staff, our board, and our wish kiddos, I can't thank the community enough for continually stepping up to the plate so that when I look at the number of 240 kids waiting for wishes, I know I have this community behind us in order to get those wishes fulfilled. So thank you, Heather. Thank you to the community. And let's grant some wishes, people. Sounds awesome. Thanks, Scott. Thank you. Hey, son, how are you feeling? Um, I'm fine, Pops. What's on your mind? I just, I can't explain it. Navigating without a compass, eyes waiting, started to wonder. Metamorphosis, the loss of who you thought you is. When your kid can't find the language, help them find the lyrics. Listen to the Sound It Out album and get tips and tools to start a conversation at sounditouttogether.org. Brought to you by Ad Council and Pivotal Ventures. You're listening to the Odyssey Las Vegas Public Affairs Show. I'm Heather Vale, and today I'm speaking with Hannah Morgan Austin, author of the new book, Hello Head, Meet Heart, How to Tap into Your Extraordinary Life. Hannah spent 20 years as an executive in the healthcare industry and suffered burnout along with a lot of colleagues during COVID. She became determined to make a change that would impact not only her own path in life, but the paths of women globally. Hannah founded She Shatters in 2021 with the goal of helping women to find a balance between their personal and professional lives. Hannah, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me, Heather. 
So what exactly was it that prompted you to write your book, Hello Head, Meet Heart? Well, Heather, during COVID, I hit the darkest moment of my life, and I was actually contemplating ending it all. I was suffering from burnout, and I literally had nothing left. So I didn't know what was wrong with me, so I started to research those books, articles, podcasts. I Googled everything. You know how that goes. Mm -hmm. And I tried to get myself out of the dark spot that I was in. And there just wasn't a book for me to turn to. So I decided to write one. And I wrote Hello Head, Meet Heart to serve as a roadmap to help others recover and heal from burnout. Okay, so the subtitle is How to Tap into Your Extraordinary Life. What is the secret to tapping into our extraordinary life? Great question. I like to think of it as if you've ever seen the movie Pleasantville, with Reese Witherspoon. The movie starts out where it's all in black and white footage. So imagine, Heather, that this is your life day to day, kind of like Groundhog Day, going to work, dreading it, feeling like there's no gas left in your tank. You're not doing anything well, work, home, relationships, you just feel depleted. And by stopping and reflecting and discovering why you're choosing that life, right? What patterns have gotten you there? you begin to start exploring and then you can tap into kind of what excites you, what lights you up. And that is the moment that that your spark is created. And that is the bridge that's going to carry you over to the next side. Then you're going to see that technicolor side. There's your extraordinary. And then your movie is now full of light, creativity. You are stepping into your extraordinary. And this book guides you through that journey. Kind of like the Wizard of Oz too, right? Starts off black and white, ends up color. (laughs) Yes. And I love that image because I think people can really visualize, you know, driving to work, oh gosh, day to day and and not really thinking like, is there more to life than this? Yeah. And, you know, we'd all like to think that there's more to life, but what kind of ways should we seek out that passion? Because there's what I would say is kind of extreme for a lot of people, which would be kind of what you did walking away from a good paying job, but people are afraid to leave a safety net, especially if they're pursuing their dreams and their passions. So where's the tipping point where we decide, yeah, it's time to leave this certain thing behind, even though it is serving me in some ways, but it's not serving me in other ways. So it's time to move on. That's such a great question. I mean, the pivot point is only something that you can define for yourself. And I was very thoughtful in this book to actually ask the reader. I turn to the reader in every chapter, Heather, where I'm basically saying, you need to ask yourself these questions. And what I found, Heather, and I now speak across the country to organizations and employees alike, I asked them to say, is the job the problem or is the job just a symptom of the problem? And I know that I was very bold in leaving my job. For me, it was a health decision. But for those people who cannot do that, you don't need to leave your job. You need to just stop and pause and take a minute, look at your signs and discover why you are where you are and look at those patterns of behavior, right? Are you Mm -hmm. sleeping with your phone? Are you on TikTok all day? Are you not going to the bathroom? Are you not taking lunch breaks? Like, what are you actually doing to set yourself up for failure where you are being depleted? And I have my team do, or the employees do an assessment, which is basically managing their energy levels. What are you spending your time on? And we take an energy assessment to see what could you be shifting your energy to, to avoid that depletion and avoid you being and having to quit. Sometimes quitting is the answer, but you have to do all these things first to make sure that that's actually the problem and the issue. Yeah. Okay. So while we're making that decision or, you know, maybe someone has decided that the job is not the issue. So I'm going to continue with that, but I still want to find this 
perfect balance between professional and personal life or between the head and the heart, as you say it. What can we do on a day-to-day basis to keep more in balance, keep in flow? Well, I, I always provide a visual for my clients and my organizational wellness team to take a look at a four-wheeled model, which is basically mental, physical, emotional, and spiritual. And and take a look at the visual and say, where am I feeling depleted? What bucket of these four areas am I feeling depleted? So for example, you know, if you're not feeling like you're getting enough sleep physically, right? So I ask that my clients put their phone, sounds very small, but would put their phone in another room or in the little sleeping bag that we have online where we can kind of tuck our phone in for the night and give ourselves a technology break. Or I ask my clients to reserve a half day out of their work schedule and take a look and color code, right, the the areas in their life where they could refill their cup and take a look at having conversations with their family and their friends up front on a Saturday, for example, for the week ahead to plan what they're going to need support with and also plan, you know, their daily schedule to ensure that they're getting what they need in that depletion bucket. So they are filling that bucket with what they need. So there's a lot of things they can do, a lot of strategies. A lot of those strategies are located in the book in several of the chapters. And it gives the reader an opportunity to really apply those key tactics to their day-to-day life. Okay. What's the biggest lesson that you learned from your burnout recovery journey? Oh, gosh. Uh, I think the biggest lesson in my burnout recovery journey is to ask for help, right? Knowing when and where to ask for help. And the key message in this book is really about using the darkest moment in your life as rocket fuel. So Heather, you know, I mentioned earlier in the conversation, you know, I was suffering from burnout. I was contemplating ending my life. And that's a pretty big statement to make, especially Mm -hmm. for someone who's so cheerful like me. I think the biggest key message for the audience today is those people in your life who look the most perfect and okay on the outside, they may need a little extra nudge. So if you ask them, how are you doing today? And they say, fine, I'm great. Everything's perfect. Those are the people that you may want to pay attention to and just give them some extra love and support and say, how are you really? And that's really a moment where, you know, you're, you're being introspective, but you're also looking out for your colleagues and coworkers. And that may be the bridge to that person living their extraordinary life versus having them lean into their darkest moment. Okay. Now, does it require hitting rock bottom? Does it require what I like to call that brick wall moment where it's like, oh, <laughs> There's nothing else to do. I've walked into a brick wall. I have to make a change. Like when you're at the point like you were, where you're considering ending it all, that would be a brick wall moment. That would be rock bottom. But do we have to get there in order to make positive changes and turn it around? No. And I think, you know, that's the the moral issue right now. And I think in our country and our world is it doesn't have to be a dark moment, right? It can be those small whispers of your internal voice saying to you, Heather, you're, you're exhausted. Heather, you need to drink water. Heather, you know, take a break. And it's often those small little voices and whispers that our internal person is saying to us, ourself is saying to us that we need to be better at listening to. And so I think this book really alludes to and guides you to how to pay attention to those inner whispers and those inner conversations with yourself. Just listen, right? You have the answer. Just listen. Yeah. Who would you like to read the book? Who do you picture as your ideal reader for this book? This is so funny. So Heather, I thought it was like for anyone suffering from burnout, but I am getting 
notes, Instagram messages from strangers that are saying this book was like a best friend, a warm hug. I just uh, had a divorce. I needed something to get me started into living my new life. I just lost my best friend, you know, to cancer. Uh, You really made me think about what legacy I want to lead. So this is for someone who's at a pivotal point in their life and they're yearning for something deeper, something more, but you don't know where to start or how to find it. Okay. Now, it's not just the book, Hello, Head, Meet Heart. It's not just about the book. You've also got She Shatters, which you founded, and presumably, you know, you're doing a lot more than just the book with She Shatters. So what else are you doing with the organization? Thank you. Yeah, so I founded She Shatters with just hopeful in mind that I could support my healthcare workers, right? That the team that I left, I worked in healthcare for 20 years. And so in speaking to hundreds of people from around the globe, Uh, They said, we need a podcast. So I started a podcast called She Burns with Hannah Austin on Spotify and Apple. And we're now up to, you know, 10,000 listeners just, you know, organically. And then they said, we want you to write a book, which is why I started writing a book. And through the asks and through the requests, I have now been traveling around the country, uh, giving speaking engagements and delivering organizational wellness talks and discussions to organizations to prevent burnout in their employees but also figure out a way and a roadmap for managers to discover and lean into those signs and symptoms that their employees may be experiencing. So I'm really trying to organically change the movement from burnout to brilliance from the inside out. Nice. Okay. And what is the feedback face-to-face when you're addressing these rooms full of healthcare workers, rooms full of professionals, and teaching them how to escape basically the burnout that you suffered and not to suffer the same fate? What do they say to you when they come up during the breaks or afterwards and give you their feedback? I'm so glad you asked this question. So I just presented at the Indiana Conference for Women uh, for over a thousand women and the line down the aisle after I presented at the end of the presentation was so long, Heather, I didn't get to everybody. But the overall feedback is tears, gratitude. Thank you so much for telling your story. I felt like you were saying exactly what I wanted to say out loud that I didn't have the courage to say. Uh, the tips, the, the suggestions, the feedback that you provided, the burn bright formula that you've created, I can actually apply this to my day-to-day life. And even after the fact that I think that was in uh, the summer that I presented now in the fall and winter, I'm getting feedback saying, I started a company. Thank you for giving me the courage to do this. I had nothing left. And now I feel that spark. So it couldn't be a better compliment or feedback that this movement is working. Nice. Okay. So you've got the podcast, you've got the book, you've got the speaking organization. What else is going on? What's next for you in this journey? You know, I just really enjoy writing. I I will say, I'll tell you a secret, Heather. Uh, this book was really a memoir, and actually, most of this book was my personal journal. So I haven't. I don't know. I sent you a copy. I don't know if you read it yet, but it's really a, a very personal book, and the stories of other women and men around the globe that I've interviewed are deeply personal. And so I just love connecting. I love pouring my heart and head onto the page. I would love to do a second book. Um, I'm just right now really enjoying sharing this book with the world. So probably a second book in the future. Awesome. Okay. So where can people learn more about you, about She Shatters, about the podcast, or even buy the book, Hello Head, Meet Heart? Yes, thanks for asking. So they can visit me at www.sheshatters.com or find the book on Amazon Books, Hello Head, Meet Heart, 
under the Kindle edition or the paperback. They're now available online. Okay, nice. So once again, the website is sheshatters.com, sheshatters.com. If you want to find out more about Hannah, find out what she's doing, find out about the podcast. And you can also get the book on Amazon, Hello Head, Meet Heart, either paperback or Kindle, Hello Head, Meet Heart, How to Tap into Your Extraordinary Life. And it is a fantastic book. And thank you for sending me a copy. I've been enjoying it so far. So once again, SheShatters.com is the place to go. And Hannah, I want to thank you so much for being here, not only sharing your story and sharing your struggles, but also trying to help people because that's the most fantastic thing you can do is take your own struggles and turn them around and help the world. So I appreciate you doing that. And I appreciate you being here talking to us. So thank you so much. Thank you so much, Heather. The sun's shining, birds are singing, and all feels right in the world. Until the season changes and suddenly everything seems darker, less lively, and you lose your motivation to get out of bed. If you struggle with depression, you're not alone. In fact, one in five people experience some form of depression, and no matter the time of year, it may affect your behavioral or physical ability to live a happy life. At the American Psychiatric Association Foundation, we understand what you're going through, and we're here to help. Our vision is to build a mentally healthy nation for all, because we want you to live your best life and be your best you all year round. We work every day to eliminate stigma, combat mental illness and substance use disorders, and advance mental wellness. If you or someone you love needs help, you are not alone. Please visit mentallyhealthynation.org to learn more. I'm Heather Vale, and this is the Odyssey Las Vegas Public Affairs Show. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Philip Ferrone, president of the Foundation of the American Society of Retina Specialists. February is Age-Related Macular Degeneration, or AMD, Awareness Month, and America's retina specialists are urging everyone to pay attention to their vision because AMD is the leading cause of blindness and vision loss among Americans over 60. Dr. Ferrone, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me this morning, Heather. Pleasure to be here. So what exactly is age-related macular degeneration? Well, as you know, as we get older, everything uh, wears down a little bit and, and we have wear and tear on our knees, our backs, uh, you name it. And the eyes are no exception to that. So age-related macular degeneration is effectively wear and tear on the back of your eyes that can cause blindness. Why is it time for the public to be more aware of it by having an awareness month? Well, uh, there are a couple of issues. One is we have excellent treatments now for age-related macular degeneration, which was not so much the case in the past. And prompt treatment usually leads to a better visual outcome. And most people are not aware of age-related macular degeneration as a problem. They think that if their vision is blurry, it's blurry because they need glasses or they need glasses change, or they might have cataracts if they're older. But in fact, 11 million Americans have age-related macular degeneration, and that number is supposed to double by the year 2050. So it's very prevalent, and we want to bring it into, uh, into uh, people's consciousness so they can, if they notice any of the symptoms, can go to a retina specialist, get a dilated eye exam, and be treated if necessary. Okay, so how do we distinguish if obviously many of us, as you mentioned, we grow older, things are not as clear anymore, visually speaking. And how do we know whether it's just, okay, I need new glasses or it actually could be AMD? 
Well, the real answer is it's difficult to tell, but there are certain symptoms that are more particular to age-related macular degeneration, such as lines that you know are straight appear wavy. Also, in when you look at, at something, there are little pieces of the image missing, like little pieces of the picture are missing, or colors are not as sharp as they used to be. Those are all signs of macular degeneration. Okay. And how does early diagnosis happen? You mentioned it sounds like just a regular eye exam. Is that actually how simple it is to detect? It depends on what you really think of as a regular eye exam. Like, for instance, a lot of people think a regular eye exam is just going to some eye care specialist and getting glasses checked and a pressure check and not getting their eyes dilated. That's not really what we're talking about here. What we're talking about here is getting a dilated eye exam so the back of the eye can be examined completely. And then from that point, if there's um, a damage detected, other tests can be done, such as a test called an OCT to look for very subtle changes in the back of the eye. And then if indicated, you know, treat if age-related macular degeneration is detected. Okay. So a lot of us get confused between there's ophthalmologists, there's optometrists. What kind of doctor would be doing this eye dilation for early detection of AMD? So dilated exams can be done by optometrists, general ophthalmologists, and retina specialists. Retina specialists uh, spend another two years just studying medical and surgical diseases of the retina. So if you have a retinal problem, often you're referred to a retina specialist for a particular specialized care of whatever the retinal disease may be, whether it's age-related macular degeneration or bad diabetic retinopathy or retinal detachment or retinal tears. So that's the broad background of that. Okay. So besides age, what else increases the risk of developing AMD? High blood pressure that's poorly controlled, obesity, excessive sun exposure. So you want to wear sunglasses when the sun's bright, a poor diet where you don't eat enough uh, fruits and vegetables. Those are major things. And, and also cigarette smoking is not good for the back of your eyes as it's not good for many things. Right. Those are all modifiable. There are some other things, you know, that you really can change, right? With age-related macular degeneration, there's genetics is a major influence and also aging, but obviously we can't do much about those things. Right. Yeah. So besides not doing all those things that you just mentioned, what can people do to maintain healthier retinas? Well, I mean, the one thing is, you know, you modify those risk factors as, as much as you can. And if you're diagnosed with macular degeneration, uh, certain patients benefit from vitamin supplementation, such as the ARADS formula. And aside from that, you want to get a regular dilated eye exam uh, by a retina specialist. You can go to seeforalifetime.org to look for a retina specialist by you and find out more about age-related macular degeneration as well as other retinal diseases. And what would constitute a regular exam? Is this like an annual thing? Yeah, I mean, it, it depends on the particular situation. I mean, everyone wants to start with a baseline exam. And then depending on the status of your particular situation, you know, it might be indicated, let's say you're 75 or 80 years old and you have moderate to severe dry macular degeneration, well, you might need to be seen every four to six months. If you're 50 and you really don't have much disease, you know, one every year or two is probably in line with what's uh, recommended. So it just depends on, a, on an individual's particular situation. But I would say if you haven't had a dilated eye exam within the last few years, you should get one. Interestingly, in patients in the U.S. over 40, 
about one third of them haven't had a dilated eye exam in the last five years. And about 13% of those patients never had a dilated eye exam. So that's really not what we're going for. Okay. Now, you mentioned that we've had a lot of advances in both diagnosis and treatment of AMD over the years, and that's one of the reasons why people should be more aware of it now. What are some of the advances, and how does that affect the outlook for the future of AMD? Well, one advance is in uh, diagnosis and early detection, and there's a machine, an imaging machine called an OCT, and that detects very subtle changes in the back of your eye. And that in conjunction with a dilated exam is very sensitive for picking up the earliest macular degeneration changes. And if you're diagnosed with wet macular degeneration, we have excellent drugs that can prevent progression and also reverse visual loss in a lot of cases. So those are, you know, those are fantastic advances that have uh, minimized uh, the impact of macular degeneration over the past 15 years because they've been so effective. And it's just important for people to know that the earlier the disease is treated in general, the better the visual outcome. So that's why we want to have people think of it when they have these symptoms of distortion, decreased vision, or color misperception, that they go to the uh, eye care professional, retina specialist, get a dilated eye exam, get an OCT, and really, if there's any change there, they can be treated promptly and hopefully have a better visual outcome. Now, does it have to be the old school dilation with iodine? Because I know there's some newer ways to do the dilation. Yeah, well, we don't, uh, iodine's really used to help sterilize the eye if you need an injection, but there are other dilating drops and some are short acting and some are long acting. We use the shorter acting drops. There are no good drops to reverse dilation uh, at this point, but there's really no substitute in most cases for a good dilated eye exam. Okay. Now, you mentioned seeforalifetime.org is where listeners can go to get more information. What else can they find out when they go there? They can find out about different disease states that affect the retina and symptoms. And it's just a, an excellent source of information for, for patients to look at. And also, they can find where to see a retina specialist by them. Okay, nice. So c4alifetime.org is the website to go to, c4alifetime.org. You can find out more information there. And Dr. Philip Ferrone from the American Society of Retina Specialists, I want to thank you so much for being here and bringing more awareness to it, obviously, because it's Awareness Month, but also letting us know about the advancements and the treatment options and how to rid our future of AMD, basically. So thank you so much for your time and expertise. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Hey, Dad, your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can. But it's just as important to take time for yourself. AARP can help. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org slash caregiving. That's aarp.org slash caregiving. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. I'm Heather Vale with the Odyssey Las Vegas Public Affairs Show, and this is your community events calendar for nonprofit initiatives and charity events around the Valley. 
February is American Heart Month, and you can support the Children's Heart Foundation by dining at Buddy Velastro Restaurants. At Buddy V's Ristorante, a portion of prefixed lunches and dinners will go directly to the Children's Heart Foundation. And at Pizza Cake, the Boss Cafe by Buddy Velastro, and Buddy's Jersey Eats, you can donate to the organization at the register. Find out more information at chfn.org. That's chfn.org. February is also Age-Related Macular Degeneration, or AMD, Awareness Month, and retina specialists are urging you to get eye exams for early diagnosis. AMD is the leading cause of blindness and vision loss among Americans over 60. Find out more information and tips at seeforalifetime.org. That's seeforalifetime.org. The Springs Preserve is hosting the 14th annual Black History Month Festival to commemorate the contributions of African Americans to Southern Nevada's rich history and culture on Saturday, February 18th from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at the Springs Preserve. There's free parking at the Preserve with overflow parking across the street at Meadows Mall. Find out more details or get your advance tickets at springspreserve.org. That's springspreserve.org. Monday's Dark with Mark Chinook is a bi-monthly musical fundraising party at The Space, with each event raising $10,000 for a specific charity in 90 minutes. Upcoming shows include Monday, February 20th at 8 p.m., benefiting Poor Richard's Players, and Monday, March 6th at 8 p.m., benefiting the Epicurean Charitable Foundation. Get tickets or find out more details at mondaysdark.com. That's mondaysdark.com. The Shade Tree's third annual Champagne and Pearls fundraising brunch is happening Sunday, March 5th from 10.30 a.m. to 1.30 p.m. at Emerald at Queens Ridge, 891 South Rampart Boulevard. Each guest receives brunch, mimosas, an interactive panel discussion, gift bag, shopping experience, and more. This signature event celebrates Southern Nevada female trailblazers in advance of International Women's Day. All proceeds benefit the Shade Tree's mission to provide safe shelter to domestic violence and human trafficking survivors and their children. Get your tickets or find out more at theshadetree.org. That's theshadetree.org. The second annual Links to Hope Golf Classic to support Hope Link of Southern Nevada is happening Friday, March 10th with an 8 a.m. shotgun start at Camara Golf Club in Henderson. Proceeds go towards Hope Link's mission of preventing homelessness, preserving families, and providing hope. The Golf Classic will also feature friendly competitions, prizes, and an afternoon awards banquet to recognize the day's winners. Sign up to golf, attend the banquet, or become a sponsor at linktohope.org. That's link, the number two, hope.org. The 5th Annual Walk for Friendship Las Vegas Fundraiser Walk and Community Carnival is happening Sunday, March 26, with check-in at 10 a.m., walk at 11 a.m., and carnival at noon at Las Vegas Sports Park, 1400 North Rampart Boulevard. Support the Friendship Circle's efforts to provide social and recreational opportunities for children and young adults with disabilities. Find out more or register at walkforfriendshiplv.com. That's walk, the number four, friendship, lv.com. 
The Junior League of Las Vegas, or JLLV, is hosting its 20th annual Paint the Town Red event on Saturday, April 1st at 6 p.m. at the Venetian Resort. This is JLLV's largest annual fundraiser, honoring those who have made outstanding contributions to volunteerism and developing the potential of women in our local community. Find out more info or get your tickets at jllv.org. That's jllv.org. The Baller Dream Foundation and Circa Resort and Casino are hosting a celebrity poker tournament from April 28th to 30th at Circa Resort and Casino's 60th floor rooftop lounge, The Legacy Club. This three-day celebrity-filled weekend experience is hosted by Hall of Fame pitcher Greg Maddox to benefit young warriors battling cancer. Find out more, get your tickets, donate an item to the silent auction, or sign up to play poker at ballerdream.org. That's ballerdream.org. And Make-A-Wish Southern Nevada is holding their Walk for Wishes event on World Wish Day, Saturday, April 29th at Town Square, Las Vegas. Make-A-Wish chapters and affiliates across the globe come together each year to celebrate World Wish Day, the anniversary of the wish that inspired the founding of Make-A-Wish back in 1980. You can join in the celebration of more than 350,000 wishes that have already been granted while raising funds for future wishes. Sign up or find out more information at wish.org snv. That's wish.org snv. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 